Perhaps you've seen the movie Schindler's List about the German industrialist Oskar Schindler. During World War II, his factories produced munitions for the Nazi war machine. He used Jewish workers in his munitions factories, at first simply because they cost less, because their wages were regulated by law. But as the Nazis increasingly attempted to liquidate the entire Jewish population into the concentration camps, his conscience led him to protect his Jewish employees and their families by bribing and misleading the Nazi officials. At least 1,100 Jews credit him with surviving the Holocaust. At the end of the movie, Oskar Schindler is meeting with the Jews that he saved, and he suddenly breaks down. Recognizing that although he had saved many lives, had he done more sooner, he could have saved even more lives. But one of the Jews assures him with a line from the Talmud, the Jewish canonical compilation of rabbinical teachings. And he says, whoever saves one life saves the world in time. In the Jewish tradition, this harkens back to the Genesis account of the creation of the world. Humanity was initially encapsulated in one man, Adam, from whom was taken the first woman, Eve, and from them all peoples descended. Thus we can say that the fate of all of humanity, all of us standing here today, rested on Adam at the time he was the only human person in existence. Think of the movie It's a Wonderful Life, where an angel shows George Bailey a vision of the world in which he never existed. So many, so many of the seemingly small good deeds that he had done, he now sees, had such tremendous consequences. The world in which he never existed was a dark and gloomy place. But of course, we have trouble recognizing that in our own lives. We forget the warning of St. Paul, walk by faith, not by sight. We let the forces of this world, not God, dictate how we see things. If we let it, the world will ultimately impose a short-sighted utilitarianism on everything. As faith slips from our consciousness, we are increasingly urged to adopt a worldview that is self-centered and focused on obtaining immediate satisfaction. Lacking faith, we judge everything by its immediate returns, its ability to satisfy our present desires. By contrast, if we walk by faith, we see our lives in the event horizon of providence. We recognize that our actions do not relate just to the here and now, and to what we can see and anticipate with our puny little minds. Instead, with faith, we see that our actions have eternal consequences, both in this world and in the world to come. That is why Ezekiel, in the first reading, could rejoice in God's promise. He was living at one of the darkest times in Israel's history. The kingdom of Judah had been conquered by the Babylonians. In order to crush the Jews entirely, the Babylonians forcibly exiled all of the leading men of Israel back to Babylon. The rulers, the rich, the priests, the scholars, all of the craftsmen, leaving Israel only a shell of itself. Ezekiel was one of the priests, and he was taken into this exile. Yet even from this tra tragic vantage point, he could prophesy, the Lord would take a tender shoot and plant it high atop a mountain. And Ezekiel saw that God would nurture that shoot until it became a full-grown cedar, so majestic that birds of all sorts could nestle in its branches and find shade.
Of course, this prophecy looked forward to the restoration of Israel, but more fundamentally, it speaks of the church that will be formed from all nations, both Jew and Gentile. But the important thing to remember is that neither of these events, the restoration of Israel in the Old Testament or the coming of Christ and the establishment of the church in the New Testament, would happen in Ezekiel's lifetime. But he could take joy in these things because he had faith that the end of his life was not simply the end. If you ever go to Europe and visit some of the great medieval cathedrals and basilicas, you will often hear that such and such a pope or bishop or king was the one who commissioned the construction of that church. And yet at the time between when ground was broken and when the church was actually finished was often 50 years or 100 years or even 200 years, sometimes longer. The person, the person who initially ordered it built knew that it was not going to be finished in their lifetime. They built it because they sought to honor God for the sake of eternity, not for the sake of immediate gratification. How many of our leaders today will think that way? And that's why Jesus gave us the parable of the mustard seed, to show that even God works in time through the weak things of this world. The mustard seed is the smallest of seeds, yet in time it grows into a large plant. And in a similar way, the small seeds of faith and good works that we can and do, or can and will do, in time produce enormous good. But we might not see it immediately. We might not understand, as the gospel says, how it will do this. But by faith, we trust that it will bear fruit. Those who took part in the door-to-door mission during the last three Saturdays of May can hopefully attest to this. Collectively, we talk to a lot of people here in our parish boundaries. And in truth, one of the more common responses of knocking on doors, besides discovering that no one's home, is polite indifference. Statistically speaking, not many people who were encountered on this mission trip will end up showing up here at church. But there might be one, or two, or three, and that's enough. Because we aren't a business. We aren't venture capitalists. We're not poker players. This isn't Moneyball. We're sharing Christ. And from that one soul, perhaps, who discovers Christ because of this effort, the whole world is changed. That's something that the saints knew often intuitively. They focused on doing the little things well, the small acts of faith or charity or devotion. Think of Mother Teresa of Calcutta. She just started caring for the sick and the poor in India. She had no training, no resources, no money. But like a mustard seed, her work bore fruit. Other women became sisters in her order. Donations were received. A thriving worldwide ministry to the poorest of the poor came about. By and large, this is the experience of the church and the experience of faith for us as individuals. Things start small, but they grow from there, sometimes in ways that we can't even imagine, sometimes fitfully, but always when we look back, we see the hand of providence guiding it along, so long as we walk by faith animated by love. Or we think of St. Teresa of Lisieux, whose spiritual philosophy she actually called the little way. As a Carmelite nun living in a convent, she focused on the small things she needed to do to be holy. She saw in her every interaction with another person the opportunity to do little acts of kindness and forgiveness and generosity. And she wrote, Love proves itself by deeds, so how am I to show my love? Great deeds are forbidden me. 
The only way I can prove my love is by scattering flowers, and these flowers are every little sacrifice, every glance and word, and the doing of the least actions for love. St. Paul said, So faith, hope, and love remain, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Anything that we do that's not done out of love, no matter how important it might seem in this life, we will only take to the grave. But the smallest thing done from love, that small mustard seed of love that will bear fruit in eternity, because love is the currency of heaven.